0: Okay, hey guys, let's see. Um, Everybody's got one of these, okay? Everybody's got one. All six billion of us on the planet, we have one of these. It's uh, why we do the things we do. It's why we live the way we live. It's why we value the things we value. It's why we pursue the things that we pursue. I have one, and that's why I'm standing up here preaching the gospel to you. You have one, and that's why you're sitting up there, listening to me preach the gospel. There's a fancy $3 phrase for this. Philosophers call this uh, a noetic structure. Has anybody ever heard this phrase before, noetic structure? It simply means your worldview, okay? You know, philosophers always have to, you know, show off their their vocabulary. But it just means your worldview. It's the sum total of everything you believe to be true, okay? This is what it means when we talk about, when philosophers talk about your noetic structure. And here's a couple of, uh, couple of mine. Two plus two is four, right? Uh, Milano is 575 kilometers north of Rome. I believe that to be true. I looked on the map. Karen has way too many shoes, okay? <laughs> uh, Little Debbie snack cakes are the best thing that men have ever invented, right? All right, I got an amen on that one. Uh, maybe something more substantive I am NOT a grown-up germ uh, one of the ladies in the north sent me an email this last week it was called lucky mud and it was uh, the odds of, of you know the whole macro evolution thing which uh, is a lie I believe that to be a lie the complexity the beauty the symmetry of the cosmos evidences a creator I believe there is a God I believe there is a God. I believe He created me. I believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth. It's not relative. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. This is what you hear in the postmodern world, but that's a lie too. Truth is not relative. Truth is truth. This life is temporary. I'm going to die. I see it every morning when I look in the mirror. It gets a little more bleak. Every passing year, I, I'm going to die This life is temporary. There is an afterlife. I believe this to be true. I will see it. I will taste it. I will feel it. I will hear it. Do you ever think about the afterlife like that? The afterlife is probably more real than this one. This one is more like a phantom. We're just passing through. What does the Bible tell us? It's a vapor. The next one lasts forever and ever. If there is a Creator God, then I must be accountable to Him. Again, this is all my worldview. okay? This is my noetic structure. And I know that I am guilty of ignoring Him, slandering Him, dishonoring Him, disobeying Him, blaspheming Him. I know this to be true in my own life. And I know if I'm accountable to Him, I need someone to reconcile me to Him. I need grace. I need a Savior. Oh, and here's the good news of the Bible. (laughs) Jesus Christ is my Creator God. Oh, and unbelievably, Jesus Christ is my Redeemer. These are just some things that I believe to be true. When philosophers, when they talk about your noetic structure, when they talk about these things, they they use a house as an analogy. They use building a house as an analogy. So when you're building a house, what color the kitchen's going to be is not a big deal, right? I mean, it's in, you know, maybe... Maybe it's important to the wife. You know, she wants a nice, cheery kitchen. I don't know. But in the big scheme of things, it's not the most important thing. What's the most important thing when you're building a house? Foundation. The foundation. If you get the foundation wrong, it doesn't matter what color the kitchen is because it's all going to come down, right? And this is why philosophers use this, this analogy of a house. You know, if I'm wrong about Little Debbie's snack cakes or if I'm wrong about Karen's shoes, that's not a huge deal, but if I'm wrong about God, if I'm wrong about Jesus Christ, it's a big deal forever, right? It's a big deal forever. I'm always astonished at how many adults I encounter who have never given God a second thought. Does this happen to you? They don't think of Him. They don't look to Him. They don't give thanks to Him. They, they, they've never given it a second thought. Well, how did I get here and where am I going and what's my purpose for being here? I'm never, I'm always astonished at how many adults I run into, who are like that, and in their worldview, God is peripheral. God is inconsequential. God doesn't matter. And if we stay with that house analogy, all they're really concerned about is what color the kitchen's going to be, or what style carpet I'm going to use in the living room, or what kind of tile I'm going to have in the bathroom. They're worried about all these peripheral things, and their foundation is sand. Their foundation is sand. It's a top priority of this church to work on the foundation when you come in here when your children go into Sunday school or when they go into the class time they're not going to hear about peripheral issues they're not they're going to hear about God for the last three and a half years I think Karen has moved on and with some of the material but for the last three and a half years we've been teaching your kids the ABCs of God we've been teaching your kids about um, the attributes of God it's, it's, it's just a tremendous, tremendous study. And that, that, that study asks these three questions of your children. Who is God? What is God like? How should I act toward this God? And you and I know, you and I probably know adults who cannot answer that question, who cannot answer any of those questions. And there are billions of people on the planet who cannot answer those three simple questions that your children can now answer. Because we've been, you know, it's our goal to, to work on their noetic structure. And it's our goal to work on yours and to work on ours. We're here to work on the foundation. We're here to work on, on what matters. We're here to work on God and what matters. You know, uh, we know more stuff than, than any men have ever known in the history of the world. We know, we know so much stuff. I mean, we have these huge data banks. We have these incredible libraries, these beautiful universities, these imposing think tanks. We have all this stuff. We know all this stuff. Just go out on the web and you can surf it. But you know what? About 98% of it is what color the kitchen is or what kind of tile we're going to use or, or, or what kind of carpet I'm going to use. It's not about the foundation. Men pursue things that don't ultimately matter. They pursue them preeminently. And that's a great folly. That's a great folly. So let me ask you as I begin to get into the text. Beloved, are you preoccupied or fixated on some secondary issue? Are you preoccupied with what color the kitchen's going to be to the neglect of what kind of foundation you're building? In other words, have you become distracted with the things of the world? And you are not pursuing and loving Jesus Christ as we ought. What does the Bible tell us? We've hit this verse quite a few times in the last last several weeks. We're to love the Lord our God with what? If we have a little extra time, if it's convenient on Saturday, maybe Sunday morning, what does the Bible say? We're to love Him what? All our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me ask you, friend, are you loving Him like that? Because that is to be the noetic structure of the born-again believer. Nothing less than that. Not that we do it perfectly. None of us do it perfectly. But that is the worldview. That's the foundation. That's the foundation of our worldview. I hope you have your Bibles open. I hope you have your Bibles open. I, wanna, I love what John says. I'm going to begin with verse 21. I'm going to jump around a little bit because John writes in cycles. He writes in cycles. He doesn't write in a linear fashion. He, writes, uh, he makes circles, and he comes back to the same argument over and over again. So I'm going to jump in with verse 21. I love what he says here. Verse 21 of 1 John chapter 2, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Now this is the eighth hallmark that we've seen of of a genuine Christian. We've been talking about authentic Christianity. This is what 1 John is about. John is telling us this is what a real Christian looks like. We're supposed to be able to look into 1 John and see our reflection coming back at us. And the eighth thing we're learning from uh, the letter of 1 John is that a true believer, he knows the truth. He knows the truth. Now, God has called us to do more than simply be cognitive of the truth. What has God called us to do? Anybody? Live it, right? You remember what the Lord Jesus said in John 8, 31. I share this verse with you many, many times, but it's because it's so foundational. It's so foundational. If you abide in my word, then what? What? you're mine if you abide in my word you're mine he says if you live in my word then you're mine that's one way the world will know that you belong to him because you abide in the word of Christ and then he goes on to say this and if you abide in me you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free free for what free to do what free to magnify Christ in your life and that's why we're here we talk about it all the time it's the only reason he's left you here on the planet <laughs> If it was just merely about worshiping and fellowship, He'd just take us up. He left us here to do a thing, to honor Him, to magnify Him, to witness for Him, to reflect the glory of Him in the world. We've got a job to do. We're here to live it out extravagantly. And I always encourage you to live it extravagantly. Don't let your Christianity be peripheral in your life. We are to live it extravagantly. God expects us to live it extravagantly. Oh, what did it cost Him to redeem us? God wasn't holding anything back, was He? When He was nailed to the tree, He held nothing back. And friends, He's asking us to live the same way. He's asking us to love Him the same way. Holding nothing back. So Jesus says. If you live in My Word, you'll be free to live like that. You won't be afraid. You won't hedge. You won't, you, won't you won't shrink back. You won't wring your hands. You'll just do the Word. You'll just do the Word. Okay, verse 18 and 19. You heard the text read, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From, From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. Now this verse, just, verse 18, just flows right out of verse 17. It just flows right out of verse 17. And you remember what we talked about the last time I was here two weeks ago. The Christian doesn't have the world uppermost in his affections. What's uppermost in the Christian's affections? God, right? So we we we're not we don't have our mindset on the world. And look at verse 17. The world is what? Someone tell me from the text, the world is what? It's passing away, and then you just see the same thought in, in, in verse 18. Paul just, I mean pardon me, John just brings the thought down. He says, the world is passing away, and then he says, Oh yeah, it's the last hour. It's the last hour. The world is passing away and it is the last hour. Now, wait a minute. John wrote this 2,000 years ago. What's he talking about? Well, I presume most of you know what he's talking about, but I'm just going to read you a couple of verses from the Bible that talks about the last days. Acts 2, 16. And I want you to, when, I, when I read these, I want you to listen for the, the biblical signpost. The biblical signpost for the last hour. The biblical signpost for the last days. Okay, I want you to tell me this after I read these, uh, these four verses and I'm expecting good grades from all of you. Okay? <laughs> Acts two sixteen to seventeen This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be it shall be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Hebrew one, one and two, in many and various ways, God spoke to our fathers, by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by a son hebrews nine twenty six he Jesus Christ, has appeared once for all. Uh, at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 1 Peter 1:20 For he Jesus Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for your sake. What is the biblical signpost for the last days? Christ has come, right? The Spirit has come and Christ has come. We are in the last days. Does everybody understand that this is a biblical this is a very foundational Uh, easy, elementary, uh, New Testament, biblical concept. We are in the last days. And what does Jesus tell us in Revelation 22? Not only are we in the last days, but what? He's coming back later. What does Jesus say? I'll be back maybe sometime. What does Jesus say? I'll be back what? Anybody know? Quickly. I'll be back quickly. Let me ask you, do you believe it? And let me ask you the follow-up question. Do you live like you believe it? Do you live like Jesus could split the cloud tonight? Do you believe it? Do you live like you believe it? This is one of the exhortations for us as we look at this text. As we look at this text. You know, it's been 2,000 years and mockers come and they say, well, where's the promise of His coming? You remember what Peter wrote in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3? These mockers will come. And how does, Jesus, how does God answer these mockers? He says this, that with me one day is as a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is as one day. Listen, if you do the math on this, if we crunch the numbers with God's perspective, we're not even two days into this thing okay we're not even two days into this thing if we use God's math the Bible is clear we are in the last hour and God is coming back the Lord Jesus is coming back and he says I'm coming back quickly and there's a warning and an exhortation here for us there's a warning and an exhortation the warning is this do we mock the Word of God by not living As if we believe he's really coming back and he could really come back today I think we mock God I think we mock the Word of God when we don't really live like we believe that when it has no impact on our daily life that the Lord Jesus could split the clouds today I think there's a great warning for us and I think it's I think there's a warning for us if we don't live with some sense of spiritual urgency what, is, what does John say? The world's passing away. Oh, not only that. Oh, it's the last hour. And Jesus says, I'm coming back quickly. Friends, are you living like that? Do you live like the Lord Jesus is coming back quickly? Do you live every day like that? Is that part of the, the foundational uh, uh, structure of, uh, of your world view? That He's coming back and He's coming back quickly. Are you aware of your stewardship before Him? Are you investing in the Kingdom of God? Is that that one of the foundational issues in your life? Every morning when you get up, how can I invest in the Kingdom of God today? Of course, the exhortation is the flip side of that. We're to live every single day with a spiritual urgency. We're to do the Word every day. Do the Word of God every day. We're to be good stewards of all that He's given us. We're to invest in the Kingdom. Jump over here with me to... uh, Verse 28, 1 John uh, 2, verse 28. Listen to what he says. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we will have confidence and we will not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Let me ask you, brother and sister, are you living in a way that you won't shrink back when he comes? Because he's coming back. This is the last hour and Jesus is coming quickly. Let me ask you, beloved, are you living your life like that? Does the world see you living like that? God intends for us to live like that. He intends for the world to see us living like that. We don't set our affections on the world. We're not in love with the world. We're in love with God and He's coming back. Can people read that off your life? Do the men and women around you read that off your life? It is the last hour. Look at verse, uh, let me just talk about verse 18 real quick because John mentions this word antichrist. I'm sure all of you have heard the word antichrist. Well, John's the only writer that uses this word antichrist and, and and i think as he is he writes there in the first uh, first part of the the verse there in verse 18 he says the antichrist in fact in the new king james i don't know what translation you have it says the antichrist capital a so in that regard john is has in view the singular antichrist that is coming the singular antichrist the antichrist that will incarnate <clears throat> incarnate the spirit of antichrist but that's really not the focus of this, of this verse and I'm not going to spend any time on that. The focus of this verse is that even now many antichrists have arisen. Many even now many antichrists has arisen. So what is what is the uh, the Holy Spirit teaching us here? Let me tell you what the word the prefix Uh, anti means in the Greek it means two things it means to be against Christ or to stand in the place of Christ okay it can mean either one of those two things the way John is using it he's using it to mean both things to be against Christ the Antichrist is against Christ or the Antichrist actually stands in the place of Christ a false Christ a pseudo Christ this is how this is how John is using the word this is the emphasis of this verse, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. To deny who Christ is, whether they deny His deity or His humanity, it doesn't matter. Both have been attacked in the history of the church. His deity, His, his, uh, his, um, his humanity, His nature is attacked. His identity is attacked. His work is attacked. His uh, resurrection is attacked. His ascension is attacked. If you're attacking anything about the, person and work, the biblical uh, testimony, the person and work of Jesus Christ, that is the spirit of Antichrist okay that is the spirit of antichrist look at verses 22 23 who is the liar but the one who denies that jesus is the christ this is the antichrist the one who denies the father and the son verse 23 whoever denies the son does not have the father the one who confesses the son has the father also and we know that down through the history of the church Men have have stood up and claimed to be Christ. We know that there are several walking the planet right now who claim to be Christ. That is something that happens. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and they will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the, the elect. So the spirit of Antichrist is the spirit of deception. It's the spirit of deception what john is saying in verse 19 they went out of us they went out from us because they were not really of us and i've talked about this to you many times and we know that the church is is always subject to attack from the outside world but the greatest danger for the church is the attack that comes from the inside okay it's from all the false teachers who infiltrate the false teachers who infiltrate the body of christ and all you have to do is i know many of you are not from the states all I can tell you is where I'm from it's an epidemic false teaching and and, uh, false prophets are an epidemic where I come from in the states all you have to do is turn on the television you turn on the radio you surf the web you walk into a Christian bookstore and there are false prophets and false teachers everywhere it's it's an avalanche in the west I don't know what it's like where you're from but it's a grievous thing where I'm from grieves my heart to walk into a christian bookstore and see these heretics lined up many of them are top sellers top sellers and it grieves my soul there is there is an escalating defection from the word of god many of you know what i'm saying is true you've experienced it but whole denominations have simply left the word of god they don't preach it anymore they don't teach it anymore They've left the Word of God. It is not their final authority. They don't consider it inerrant. They don't consider it infallible. And so what they do is they, they may use the Bible, but they twist it and they spin it and they mangle it into some message that suits the natural ear. A natural man hears it and a natural man loves it. But friends, what does the Bible tell us about the Word of God? The natural man can't hear it. He can't understand it and he hates it. It's really, it's really bad what's going on in the West. And Satan is good at his job. There are so many false expressions of Christianity. Much of what is called Christendom today is apostate. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But God said it was going to be so. 1 Timothy 4.1 He says in later times, uh, some will fall away from the faith. They pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons uh, by means of the The hypocrisy of liars they are seared over in their own conscience you know this phrase almost everybody knows this verse 2nd timothy uh, 3 1 through 5 in the last days men will be lovers of what god no what self men will be lovers of self rather than lovers of god and they will hold to a form of godliness although they have denied the power and the bible says avoid such men as uh, uh, as these And then I'm just going to read you some excerpts from 2 Peter chapter 2. You need to go read 2 Peter chapter 2. It's just one long indictment on false teaching. And listen, this wasn't only prevalent in the first century because, hey, John wrote about it, James wrote about it, Jude wrote about it, Peter wrote about it, Paul wrote about it. They all wrote about false teachers. And it's only gotten worse. It's only gotten worse. But listen to what Peter says. There will be false teachers who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They follow after their own sensuality. They, they malign the truth. They exploit you with their false words. They are like unreasoning beasts. They are stains and blemishes upon the body. They, uh, they are seeking to entice unstable souls. They forsake the right way. They follow the way of Balaam. What does that mean? They follow the way of Balaam. Anybody know? Anybody know? They're in it for the money. You see, the, you see the big uh, the the key uh, books that are that are that are uh, um, that are on display in, in your average Christian bookstore. Man, it's not hard to see. It's about the money. It's not about the truth. It's about the money. It's about the money. This is what God says about men who alter his his, his word who preach another gospel this is what he says he says their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep for whom black darkness has been reserved remember we talked about it a couple of weeks ago what does God say about uh, men who preach another gospel what does he say what is what is the word God uses let them be what accursed this is how God sees it when men spin his truth This is the spirit of Antichrist. This is what I'm saying to you. This is our application tonight. We are to be on guard for the spirit of Antichrist. Let me just read the rest of these verses here. Go back to verse 20. But you have... Why is it... Listen, I want you to hear this. Why is it that we know the truth? We have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Verse 24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Did you hear that? This is the third and fourth time John says, I want you to always remember the original Gospel. And if someone comes to you with some tweak or some spin or some adjustment, it's wrong. I want you to stay on the original. This is the third and fourth time he said that. He says, remember what you heard from the beginning. The gospel message never changes. It's always the same. It's always what's written here. And if it's not written here, it's a lie. It's the spirit of Antichrist. This is the message. This is the message, okay? Verse 24 I already read it, verse 25. And this is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you, verse 27, and as for you, the anointing which you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in Him him we have we know the truth why because God has taken us out of the darkness and into the light he's taken us out of death and into life he's given us eyes to see and ears to hear he's given he's taken out that heart of stone and he's given us what a heart of flesh we are born again we are born again that's why that's why we cannot be deceived now we can be confused we can be momentarily distracted, but ultimately the Holy Spirit will teach us the truth as we stay in the Word of God. And I want, you to, I want to make sure you, you understand this. Verse 27, it's not saying that you don't need human teachers. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that I don't need human teachers. Why do we know that that's not what the verse is saying? Because what does God say over in 1 Corinthians 12, 28? He says, I give you what? Teachers. It's a gift of of God to the church for human teachers. He's not talking about uh, not having human teachers. He's talking about uh, non-biblical teaching. He's talking about human teaching. You don't need human teaching. This is what John is saying. He says, you're supposed to just stay on the gospel. Stay on the biblical message. Don't let anybody tweak that for you. Don't let anybody change that for you. If anyone comes to you with a new revelation, that is the spirit of Antichrist. He is a liar. Friends, we're supposed to stay on. We're supposed to stay on the Bible. We're supposed to stay on the Bible. And you are supposed to search the Scriptures and pour over the Scriptures and study the Scriptures and sweat over the Scriptures. Man, there there are texts in the Bible that I just have to roll up my sleeves and I just have to sweat. It's hard work. Are you working hard on the Word of God? Friends, it's the last hour and you're supposed to know it and you're supposed to be sharing it. It's the last hour. Are you being a good steward with this last hour? Are you giving yourself to the study of the Word of God? Are you sharing the Word of God that God might convert through your testimony This is why John John says stay on the original gospel. Don't get distracted with what some Pied Piper says. You stay on the original because God converts through the original gospel. God converts through it. He converts through His Word. Faith comes by what? Hearing some pretty boy tell you how good life ought to be and that God wants you to be rich and you should have a Rolex and a Mercedes. Is that how conversion comes? How does conversion come? By hearing the Word of Christ. By hearing the Word of God. That's how conversion comes. We need to know it. It's the last hour. We need to be sharing it. Friends, we need to take this whole deal serious. God means for us, He redeemed us and He left us here to take this thing serious. To be sons and daughters of light. I love what, I love what, uh, what John says over in 1 John 4. 1. He says, do not believe every spirit, but do what? Anybody know? Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why do we need to test the spirits? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, I'm about finished. I get pretty excited about this. Because I, I, uh, I hate it. I hate it that men stand in pulpits and they, they abridge or they truncate or they spin or they just absolutely turn the Word of God on its head. I hate it. I hate it with all that's in me and I don't think that uh, I'm saying anything that most of you don't already know I said it to you earlier but but much if not most of what is called Christendom is apostate Do you know what the word apostate means it means to be in rebellion against or to abandon most of what is called Christendom I would say it this way most of what is called Christendom is apostate and it doesn't matter whether it's dead Catholicism or cotton candy Protestantism it doesn't matter when men leave this when this is no longer their ultimate authority when they don't preach this when they don't teach this when they don't hold to this when they don't when they don't preach the gospel the biblical gospel it is the spirit of Antichrist it's nothing less than that and that's what John is saying John is saying hey Christians you're in the last hour and the spirit of Antichrist is doing his thing you need to be doing yours You need to be holding this up. You need to be telling people about the Word of God. You need to be sharing the Word of God with them. We don't need to be listening to some pretty boy tell us about Rolexes and Mercedes. We need to get serious about the Word of God. It is the last hour. It is the last hour. Whole denominations have simply abandoned God's Word. Oh, they'll use it sometimes. But they don't need it anymore. They're doing something altogether different. They've left God. They've left His Word. You internationals, and I'm about done. You internationals, uh, you come and we fall in love with you, and then you leave. I've shared this with you before, and you break our hearts. But one of the good things about you guys when you leave is that I've had I've had several of you over the years have shared with Karen and I that you can't go back to the old church you used to be in anymore. Because uh, you've gotten used to hearing what God says, you you don't want to listen to what men say anymore. <laughs> and I love when I hear that, I really do. It's a, it's a great joy to hear you say those kinds of things because we know that God, you have encountered God here, and God is changing you. And it's a great joy for us to hear that. And I want to say this to you. You know, when people say that to me, they say, "Well, I can't go home. That I can't go back to that church." And I say, "Well, here's what I would advise you to do. You go home." and you go back to that church, and if you don't sense that God's going to lead you to help reform that church, and what I want to say to you about reforming a church, it's almost impossible. Unless God comes down, it's almost impossible from the pew to reform a church. It's almost impossible. I've never seen it done. I've known many men who've tried. It's almost impossible. Once people leave the Word of God, they have no appetite for it, and they don't want it anymore. They like to play church, but they don't want to hear from God. But I tell people, I say, if you go back and you can't can't stay in that church, If, if they won't reform, then you need to leave. That's what you need to do. You need to leave. That's no longer a biblical church. The spirit of Antichrist has a toehold there, and you need to leave. You need to leave that church. And you need to go find one that does this, that just does this, that just opens up the Bible and says, this is what God says. That's what you need to find. And if you can't find one, you know what I tell people? Oh, you just need to start one. And I, and I have people look at me and go, what? <laughs> Who, me? Yes, you. It's the last hour. Yes, you. It's the last hour. Start a biblical church that honors God, that honors Christ. Where God is the center, God is the middle. It's the last hour. God expects us. You know what, friends? Friends. He doesn't just expect us to know it, He expects us to fight for it. He expects us to stand on the truth. He expects us, oh, what an uncomfortable uh, assertion in the the modern church. He expects us to sacrifice for it. He expects us to sacrifice for the the truth, for the true gospel. If if, If we're in that situation, if we're called upon it, yes, we will sacrifice. We will sacrifice. We will stand for the truth. I love what John MacArthur says, and I'm finished. You know, I love this. I love this quote. MacArthur says, "Genuine Christianity is not a skip through the park with a bouquet of balloons." You know this, right? Do you know this about Christianity? It's not a skip through the park with a bouquet of balloons. Uh, maybe some of you haven't learned this yet, but we're called to a war. This is what MacArthur says. We're called to a spiritual war. And friends, we are in it. This is the last day. This is the last hour. The spirit of Antichrist is doing all he can do to destroy the church. But John says we have an anointing. We have an anointing. And I'm just going to close with reading uh, with Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. I love, this. I love these verses and I'm done. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Listen to what listen to what Paul tells the Ephesians finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against excuse me the powers against the, uh, the world forces of, of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Do you hear Him? You're supposed to stand on the rock of the Word of God. And when you leave here, that's what I want you to do. I want you to leave here Stronger than when you came in. And I want you to leave here convinced that you need to go stand on you need to go stand on the rock and you need to stand for the truth. This is not a skip through the park with a bouquet of roses, a bouquet of balloons. Let me finish. Verse 14 Stand firm, therefore Friends, when you leave here, and most of you will, I think most, almost every one of you in here are, are internationals. When you leave here, you go home and you be used of God in your church. And if you can't be used in that church, you go find a good Bible church. And if you can't find one, you go start one. It is the last hour. And God means for you to take your stewardship serious. He's given you the Word of God. Oh, He's given you the Holy Spirit. Oh, He died for your sins. He means for us to take it serious he means for us to be at work in the world this is the last hour let's pray together beautiful lord we thank you for this exhortation we thank you how you never allow us if we're in your word you never allow us to get on the spiritual recliner you always challenge us You always challenge us, and You challenge us in a loving way, in a way that, Father, You're calling us to to just meet You in obedience. You're calling us to to meet You in that wonderful place of of sacrifice, that wonderful place of, of standing for the truth, because You never leave Your people stranded. You always show up. You always support Your people. And You've called us to a fight. Father, may we be men and women enough to love You and Your Word. And to speak it in love to those around us. Father, may we be able to stand and say, That's a lie. That's not what the Bible says. May we be able to stand and confront false teachers and and, and false teachings. Because we know the Word. We're like the Bereans. We spill over it, we search over it, We, we pour over it. It is our life, it's our power, it's our nourishment, it's our meat, it's our drink. It is the last hour. Father, may we uh, be mindful that it is. Lord God, may we be light in this world. May we be salt on this earth. Father, I pray You will convict us. Convict us of of what we need to be doing in these last hours. How we need to be better stewards of of Your Word and of the gifts that You have given us and, and of the resources that we have. This is not a skip in the park. You've left us here to do, to to labor, to fight the good fight, as Paul says. Oh God, give us that courage. Give us the faith. Give us the focus to fight that good fight. Father, to come and stand in Your presence and hear those wonderful words, Well done. Well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. We thank You for this challenge. Great God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing uh, our closing uh, chorus.